you. What about this one for my nephew? A superb choice. Oh, great. Yeah, provided he has already read Infinite Crisis and 52 and is familiar with the reestablishment of the DC multiverse. Who am I? Cypher? The gayest X-Man? I recently read this novel called Watchmen. I've never read a comic book like this. I used to read Betty comics, but that's it. I've never read, like, real, real comic books. This worked my out. Excellent! Hello, hello, hello. This is Chris and Eric's Songbox Adventure. I'm Chris. And I am Eric. This week, we are wrapping up our free part coverage of Starfighter by Hamlet Machine. So if you haven't listened to parts one and two, go do that. We have our same spoiler warning that we do every episode because diving in and talking about it, we're going to be covering everything. Follow along for free at starfightercomic.com. If you're interested in the print editions, again, buy those soon. They're not getting restocked, so now's your chance. But yeah, we'll go ahead and just jump right in. This is Starfighter Chapter 5. It is the final chapter, again, by Hamlet Machine with additional credits to Fizbe for help on story and M. Nick for help on coloring. And Chapter 5 essentially opens with Commander Baring and some of the rest of the higher staff looking over their visual comms on the sleep near uh the sleep near being the spaceship that our characters are currently residing upon in their mission into colteran space to go take down a colteran shipyard which essentially is just a major threat to them because it's going to be a major boon to the enemy and their war against humanity and we open up here with them getting a closer shot on the comms of the shipyard, and they realize that its construction is nearly complete. It is almost ready to be operational, and basically it's farther along than any of the humans thought it was at this point, and they're going to have to rush to complete their operation to take it down. So essentially, the plot is hitting critical point here the members of the alliance are going to have to enact this mission and take down the shipyard stat or else the earth and the colonies might just be fucked so the opening pages here are essentially just the plot going it's showtime oh i'm afraid that this star station will be quite operational when your friends arrive is that star wars that that would be the emperor yes that's that's from one of the old movies right that's from the third one return of the jedi where the star station is more operational than they were expecting i haven't rewatched those originals since i was like 13 maybe uh, i think i specifically I... remember watching them on vhs tapes that were rented from blockbuster Oh, so you've never seen the special editions, probably, or the special special editions, at the very least. I don't think I watched the ones where they, like, added weird new shit in the background. Oh, see, that just kept happening. So if you want to go on Disney Plus now, it's, like, maybe the fifth version of these films at this point. There's, like, very weird stuff, like dialogue changes, and um, 
now when you watch the third one and Darth Vader like throws the Emperor down the shaft, he screams no, just like Darth Vader does when he finds out that Padme's dead back in Revenge of the Sith. Um, because I guess George Lucas was trying to make that moment in Revenge of the Sith seem less silly. I don't know. Oh, and Greedo says McClunky, which is a thing. Fortunately, the work of art we're discussing today has not been gone back and fiddled with a million times for no reason. Replacing all the penises with walkie-talkies? Well, if Hamlet Machine, it would never get less sexual, uh, fortunately. That was a reference to the Raiders of the Lost Ark special edition, which later got changed back. <laughs> what were they replacing with walkie-talkies? Not literal penises, Guns. I assume. Oh, Guns. okay, yeah. A lot of... No, no, sorry, that was E.T. Shit, E.T., which makes more sense, because why would you de-gun Nazis? E.T. Okay. A lot of the military people from the government got their guns replaced by walkie-talkies in some edition of it. It's like, but the the whole point is that, like, we're supposed to be scared by these people at this moment. Anyway, back to the comic. <laughs> back to the comic... We shift scenes to Keeler and Inke with Commander Cook. Um, Cook has just found out about Keeler's health problems and basically the fraud that he committed to even enlist in the Alliance. And as opposed to immediately removing him from action because it is time for the pivotal fight, Keeler is still going to be taking part in the battle against the Colteran shipyard but that that will be his final act with the alliance and afterward he will be held in confinement for the trip home at which point on earth command will decide his full punishment and a dumb bad military decision but yeah the alliance makes a lot of those that's, and... that's like you can't rely on that ship then yeah like that could that there's more ways that could go wrong with them being out there than like yeah anyway no real like well set up military would ever do this but this military is insane so it's okay as we will see as we continue these people are just nuts yeah but okay. doing all this wild shit and it's like guys guys please common sense oh my god yeah nk doesn't like the idea either starts arguing with commander cook uh, but Keeler sort of stops him before he gets going too much. Commander Cook is then talking to some more of his guards who have been searching for Phobos since the events of last chapter, but they have not yet found him. Phobos being the navigator who seduced Commander Cook as a means of hacking his computer, essentially. And... Once Cook leaves, Keeler and NK continue to talk together. Keeler's concern is that he doesn't want to continue jeopardizing NK's future in the Alliance, and he feels like he's done that too much already. And NK just makes it clear that Keeler is his concern. He does not like Cook, and they should just show them all what they can do in the battle. At which point Keeler's heart rate increases. Enough to be commented on by the medical personnel. Yeah. The nurse is just like, sir, your heart rate increased. Are you feeling okay? Because naturally, naturally, the nurse couldn't just 
see the blatant flirting in front of him and just leave it be. He's taking his medical professional responsibility seriously and being like, everything okay with your heart rate over there? Meanwhile, Abel is suiting up in his room. We get his narration just talking about how Kane never came home to their dorm room the night before and that things were going so well between them until the end of their little pseudo picnic where they started talking real names and Kane just sort of freaked out and left. Now, as Abel leaves his room to go make his way like to the launching dock and to go start on the mission proper, he runs into Ephos. Ephos being the puppy dog-eyed, little, innocent, just the pure cinnamon roll and tumbler phrase. And they just talk a little bit about if they're nervous or not. Um, Ephos thanks Abel for his advice and talks about how his his being Ephos relationship with his partner Praxis has been on the up and up. And basically, it's just a moment of Ephos being like, thanks for everything. And before everyone can finish getting to their ships, Abel feels a hand on his shoulder, turns around, assuming it's Kane, finds that it's Deimos standing behind him. And Deimos, like, pulls out a knife, holds it up against the small of Abel's back, and starts, like, commanding him to leave the fighter bay. He's just taking him where he's going to take him while the alerts are still going over the intercom, saying all teams report to the loading bay. And we see Kane already at the Reliant, just, like, waiting for Abel, who is now being lured away to some currently unpopulated area of the ship, potentially a cargo hold or that sort of area away from prying eyes. And once they get there, Abel's just like, are you out of your mind? The attack is launching. We need to get back to the ships. And at this point, Phobos walks into the scene Again, Phobos being the one who seduced Cook for the classified information. Phobos makes an entrance. He does, like, a dramatic... He was, like, clearly just waiting, just over to the side, like, okay, now is the most dramatic time to come in. Yeah, like, off just to the side, or, like, waiting right behind these little mechanical doors to walk right in once he started hearing the other's presence. And Phobos, again, just to keep in mind, has always looked down on Abel, never liked him this entire time. And he makes his dramatic entrance and says, Oh, Abel, always so dramatic. This will only take a moment. Besides, don't you want to know about the Colteran technology installed on your ship? Abel just does the whole what are you talking about thing. And... Essentially, Phobos just starts unloading all the information that he has hacked from Cook's computer. And they talk about the supposed malfunction that occurred on the Reliant in the last chapter. 
and Phobos states that it wasn't a malfunction, but in fact was able initiating his ship's warp drive, or I should say in the comic they use the phrase a uh, jump drive, and Phobos says that the jump drive is a piece of Colteran tech that can transport matter from one place to another, and the Alliance has been using Abel's ship to experiment with it. It's at this point that Phobos just sort of waves his little thumb drive of stolen data dramatically. Abel tries to grab it. Deimos holds him back. And at this point, we get a a brief glimpse back to the shipyard where NK and Keeler as lead fighter and navigator, respectively, are giving a quick little pep talk speech pre-battle and both like trying to build up morale and also just the basic like, here's what we're going to be doing. This is the mission. Do it with the plan being essentially that the rest of the ships are going to clear a path through the Colteran defenses with NK and Keeler's ship being the one to go furthest in and drop off an antimatter bomb, which they will detonate in the shipyard for the purpose of destroying it and taking down this critical Colteran base. And NK says, this is for Earth, for Mars, and for the men standing next to you right now. All right, let's move out. And as everybody's actually about to get on ship, one of the navigators points out to them that Deimos and Phobos are missing. No one's noticed Abel missing. Yeah. No one's commented. Maybe Kane presumably is just like trying to save Abel's ass and like not comment on it until the last possible moment, just in case, you know? Just pretend that Abel is standing right behind him. Yeah, or just already on the ship. And Kane hears this news, realizes it's nothing good. Everyone else is going in their ships to go ahead and initiate the attack, initiate the mission, while Kane runs back and runs into Commander Bearing on the way, asks him where the hell he's going, and when Kane says that Abel is missing, uh, Commander Bearing says, find him and get him under control, or you'll be back in New Volga, where you belong. Again, just the whole class and also potentially racial thing of Kane and a lot of the other fighters specifically being from this colony on Mars and roped into service with the promise of essentially like getting criminal records expunged that sort of thing and I'll say New Volga sounds like a prison yes yes Kane specifically was in a prison at the time that or even like a penal colony yeah, and there will be a little bit more on that later as well. But Kane runs off to find Abel, and we then move scene back to Phobos's dramatic exposition. And he tells Abel, You remember when the Alliance captured a Colteran ship that was still intact? They brought it to Earth to be analyzed. But around the lab, something strange happened. A handful of people became overcome with emotion. They felt intent that was not their own. Waves of intense feeling out of their control. 
and Abel interjects and finishes the sort of expository dialogue saying, The Alliance discovered that a device within the Colteran ship was transmitting this emotional energy. They brought the device and the affected people to a secret location and had them decipher the transmissions for military intelligence. All those people had one thing in common. Each of them had children. Yes, Phobos, I think every child on Earth knows about Mother. So this is sort of a little finishing up of the origin story for the group called Mother that we've seen a few times before now with the whole, like, Greek fates sort of prophecy thing going on. So this is nice. I like getting a little extra bit about them before the series finishes up. Yeah, I um, wonder what the feeling was they were made to feel by, like, the machine, because the, the panels we have, the lady just looks like she's got, like, a, a psychic attack, like one of the sort of bad headache things. Between this and the scenes in prior volumes where they were sort of, like, reacting to the tech and, like, getting a sense of Colterans like, building up for an attack... I sort of get the sense that they would be feeling like hostility in accordance with just like the Colterans like preparing for war. So I just sort of got the sense that they're probably feeling like threatened or like sort of like a violent intent. Yeah, that makes sense. Phobos then remarks, wow, Abel, just when I thought you couldn't be more of an insufferable know-it-all. Can I please finish? Because it's his time to give dramatic monologue and essentially following the success of Mother's establishment, the Alliance saw potential in Colteran technology and specifically thought that if the aliens could use it to transmit their emotional and spiritual energy, perhaps it could be used to transmit other things, i.e. teleportation tech. And the Alliance began a series of experiments installing modified versions of the recovered tech into a starfighter plane's engine and tried to activate it with various elite soldiers. And essentially only one pair was ever up for the task of triggering the jump drive. And this team of navigator and fighter were different from all of the other elite soldiers and that this pair were lovers. And so we get a bit of narration here about this sort of precursor pair to Cain and Abel. And I want to read about them. I want to read the prologue about these mystery elite scouts. They have great hair. I really love the hair on this fighter in particular. That's pretty good. That's a pretty interesting haircut. Yeah. And so the conversation goes on with theorizing about how the technology is largely emotion-based. And for Colterans, their strong, quote-unquote, religious fervor, the intent to attack, were the important driving feelings. And that for humans, it was the need to love and to protect. This pair of lovers, navigator and fighter, were an elite team quote-unquote, the Alliance's secret weapon, and did a great job until, in a mission, the fighter was killed, 
And to quote Phobos, the other was useless once the bond was broken. And we get these scenes of the old navigator, like, finding his fighter's corpse and crying into it post-battle and then, like, being dragged along and looking up with tears in his eyes up at Commander Cook. So not only are these things that are happening in the Alliance, but these are events that are being orchestrated specifically by the command management that we have been following all throughout this comic, because here's just yet another way that Commander Cook is evil. Yeah, Cook and Bering are obviously both in on this, because as is increasingly obvious, this is the secret mission that Bering has Kane doing. Yes, exactly. Now that the Alliance higher-ups have figured out, essentially, that romantically bonded pairs are the way to go and using this technology... They've realized that it's not practical to just, like, wait for connections to form entirely organically between their charges. And so they've specifically enacted Project Phoebes, in which they have essentially goaded fighters into seducing their navigators with the hope that some of these seductions will be successful in developing into closer relationships the kind that will spur passionate enough emotions to successfully utilize jump drives and allow human use of Colteran technology um i'll specifically quote they took young men from the colonies who were in trouble who they could coerce promised them redemption if they followed orders They were told to seduce their navigators to force an emotional bond that could activate the jump drive during battle. And uh, Phobos says, that's right, Abel. Your relationship of Cain is completely contrived. And we see just Abel looking shocked, like wide-eyed, like his entire world has just been wrecked and like the foundation just all sorts of fucked up. And Deimos seconds what Phobos is saying and essentially tells Abel that Kane has had the special mission from Commander Baring and that he hadn't been aware of the details the entire time, but he had been keeping tabs on Abel for Kane. And it's at this point that Phobos then hands the plot-critical USB over to able and it's just like if you don't believe us you can look at the data yourself and we get these series of panels of able looking down in shock at the thumb drive within his hands as in the background we get these various horizontal panels with shots of other characters from throughout the plot's faces and just various quotes from other characters like telling Abel about the truth of what's happened. We get Praxis saying Kane is the commander's lackey from back when Praxis abducted Abel to try and talk to him about Kane. We get Phobos saying you're his third navigator in as many months. And then we get 
a quote from early on in the relationship of Kane of Kane saying, everyone will know you belong to me now. And rather than a shot of the early possessive Kane, we then get a shot of a possibly presumably post-coital Kane, just sort of like looking intimately at Abel, just smiling heightening the tension in his memory of Kane as a partner who he's grown closer to with the idea of what he's being told that the entire relationship was a lie built upon military orders essentially yeah he's like recontextualizing everything that's happened yeah like rethinking about everything that everyone's ever said and and Phobos, being the douche that he is, is giving Abel shit forever believing that Kane cared about him. Deimos is a bit more sympathetic, cuts Phobos off, and Phobos and Ephos then go to leave. But before he leaves, Deimos says, Kane isn't worth it. He's a liar. And Abel crying just says, just leave me alone. And no sooner do the characters break up then the security guards that have been searching for Phobos find him and grab him to take him to the brig while Deimos manages to avoid being caught alongside him. And we then switch Pove to uh, Praxis and Ephos aboard their ship, readying for the mission, preparing to launch, just talking a bit about the fact that the Reliant is missing and Ephos being the naive little child that he is it's just like it must just be technical stuff they'll be here it's all good and we then cut immediately back to Kane who was running all throughout the ship trying to find Abel until he arrives at the observation deck where Abel has currently been standing just wallowing in his depression and shaken understanding of the events of the last several months of his life and Kane's just like what the fuck we need to make our way back to the ship the battle's literally already started and Abel just tells him that he knows all about the project about project Phoebe's and tells Kane to stop lying to him talks about all the information that's been garnered from Cook's computer about how their relationship was contrived, how Deimos confirmed all this information. And Abel says, I want to hear it from you, Kane. Is it true that you were ordered to sleep with me? And after a quiet moment, Kane says yes. Abel's just like, how could you do something like that? And Kane says, it's not like I had much of a choice, Abel. You've never been to prison on the colonies. You don't understand what it's like. They caught me on some bullshit trespassing charge and shipped me to the new Volga correctional facility. An agent from the Alliance showed up one day and offered to arrange a deal. If we accepted their special assignment, we get a chance to shoot up some Terrans and return back home with a clean record. So this is just going back to what we discussed earlier and... How Kane has essentially joined the military, not 
fully of his own will, but as sort of like a coercive special op in order to be freed from prison. And the flashback then moves forward a little bit in time to Commander Baring and Tim and Baring asking, what do you think of the candidates? And Kane going, I'd fuck them, sir, which is something, is quite something. And Baring, in his usual stuck-up way, says, good, but remember, navigators aren't like us. They're intelligent, but they're weak. And fully back in the presence, Kane sums up saying, I did what I had to. It was either me or you. And Abel, beginning to look not just sad, but pissed off, says, so it was all just an act. And Kane starts to refute it, saying, that's not, listen, Abel. And Abel cuts him off, saying, I trusted you. How could I have been so stupid? And as Abel is crying in front of him, Kane makes the decision to use Abel's real first name. And it says, Ethan, I didn't mean for any of this to happen. I thought I could do it. It was just a mission. I was only looking out for myself. I wasn't going to get attached. But then things changed. I don't feel the same as I did then. You're not just a mission to me. And this dialogue is given half fully in scene and then half in flashback as we get it via caption boxes overlaid with flashbacks to their very first meeting from the very first page of chapter one with them looking at each other as they're initially assigned their task names of Cain and Abel. And we then get various flashback panels to moments of the two of them having sex. One of them is a shot of Abel's like face and upper back from what would be Cain's perspective. So it's very like, here is the shot of Abel as seen by Kane as he's starting to develop feelings. And then we also get a panel of the first time that Kane bottomed for Abel. So again, that pivotal scene in terms of a reversal in submission, a more equalizing in sexual role as metaphor for an equalizing relationship. And yeah, we just get this whole like merging of the present and the past and just a couple pages that are really concisely showing the trajectory of their relationship and how Kane's feelings developed in a way that went beyond what military command had intended and beyond what he had ever intended personally before snapping back to the present. Kane being more emotionally honest than he has been at most points and declaring, you know, his caring about Abel or Ethan as he is intentionally calling him. And Abel, understandably, is just like, how can you expect me to trust anything you say? Though Kane is pleading for him to trust him, Abel says that this is over between us. Kane says, I don't want it to be over. In sort of like a sad way, not argumentatively, but just, you know, Kane is clearly distraught about this as Abel is. And 
as they look back out the window and see just sort of the battle raging outside in space. Abel says that they should get back to the Reliance. Their friends are still out there fighting. And even if Abel's not going to be able to trigger the jump drive anymore, they can at least try and help on the mission and destroy the shipyard. And the, after the battle, he'll worry about getting back to Alliance space and trying to message his father, who are reminded here again, I'll quote, he's influential back on Earth, and I know he'd love to have an excuse to denounce the Alliance. He freaked out about me liking men. He's not going to like hearing that fighters are being ordered to fuck navigators. And so we're just calling back and making more explicit some of what we've seen and had brought up before of Abel's father and his political connections and the sort of explicit homophobia that Abel had to deal with him growing up. Before they can make their way, however, to the ship, some of the commander's security guards finally find them, hold them up at gunpoint, and are going to take them to see Commander Cook. So let's accept that, okay, so if you need two people to be in love to activate this drive, which, like, okay, sure, I, I'm kind of like, I that to me doesn't sound, like, emotions aren't like a form of power, so I feel like that's an interface, which means that you probably like just need to find a way of attaching a button to the thing instead of like this as a plan. Um, but let's accept that you do need them to be in love. And why don't they just recruit couples? Like this isn't all male military, but like they they could just like train women if have some like open couples that they know exist and are already couples with regards to like the emotion as energy thing like the way i read it sci-fi this yeah yeah like i take it as just something we have to take as read um with regards to the couple thing yeah my main speculation would just be various social pressers or setups you know like this society is even more sexist than it is homophobic. Like Because they sat down and they effect. had to pick one. They had to pick one that they would try and make happen. Yeah, like you mentioned, this military consists entirely of men, which, you know, that is a policy choice. So I think that's probably a lot to do with it in terms of, like, this being, like, a largely sort of covert plan you know, because it's like these higher ups of Cook and Baring are aware of it and are orchestrating it. But it's also a plan that is secretive enough that like high up members of the government aren't aware of it, you know, so they're sort of working within the constraints of how their military is already set up. So I imagine it's probably just like a legal or policy logistical thing of we can't just unban various people. So just sort of keeping the gay on the hush-hush sort of thing is how I read it. Then the other thing that makes me... So so I want to know which military commander looked at Abel and said, hmm, seems pretty gay. We'll try that one. 
I would assume they probably had like some sort of like information spying sort of setup. Um, we don't really get like a lot of the explicitness, but like there's well, certainly not been with a man before this. We know that, so they don't have like an encounter that they could have anywhere. So, I guess they have access to his internet history, maybe. Yeah, like that would certainly be a possibility of like, even if you've never been with someone, if all they have to do is use the government oversight illegal spying tech to just pull up the IP addresses that searched gay porn, then. I'd also be interested in knowing if this is why almost every single person on this ship appears to be interested in men, as if they have just specifically recruited people and like like they've gone through the whole military and they've looked at everyone's internet history and every single one who's looking at mlm porn they have put on this ship and they're like one of them's gonna wind up being a couple like do they only have one of these jump drives i'm now trying to figure out the logistics like because wouldn't you just put it in if it's cheap enough to produce wouldn't you just put one in every ship on the off chance Increase your sample size. Yeah, the specifics here, not really sure of, since this is just, like, all us theorizing. But yeah, I think that the idea of, oh, this seems like a really gay bunch of soldiers is, like, intentionally manufactured. I feel like there's probably some truth to that. With regards to the Colteran tech, that I'm not entirely sure about. You know, I don't think it's really clear if or how many pieces of these tech they have. I guess I also don't know like how easily reproducible they are. Because like if it's alien tech that they don't fully understand, then I think it would make sense that they would only have like limited amounts of it that they sort of reserve for who they see as like their best bets, you know? And then like if Kane and Abel didn't work out, then maybe they would move it on to say uh nk and keeler or like praxis and ethos or just sort of like try different combinations until they found success if they only have one i would say that they're far better testing that in a controlled environment and not deep in enemy territory so i'm like they clearly must have more than one right like they're not that dumb to have like their one sample of incredibly advanced technology that they want to reproduce presumably like deep in enemy territory no matter the strategic advantage that's just not worth losing that'd be like setting up the manhattan projects on like the western front yeah like it certainly is possible that they would have like at least a small limited amount especially if like the tech that they're using on the reliant is visually similar to the tech that is held at Mother's Base, I don't know if it's, like, exactly the same, but presumably, I guess it's probably fair to say that they have at least a little bit, although, like, a scarce amount of this sort of tech, it probably isn't the only one, but maybe they're only willing to, like, use so many or just the one in enemy combat for security reasons, like you said, all just speculating. But yeah, take, taking all of that is red. Um, yeah, they got captured by um, the uh, some other soldiers working for Cook who are um, like, they just start sort of showing up in this volume, but they're like, 
more like just regular soldiers. They all look like fighters, but they clearly aren't flying any of the spaceships because everyone who has a spaceship is like at the big battle right now. So it's just like a local security, like a security force. Yeah, their uniforms are all black, so it's largely like the fighter look, but they also all have these like facial buttresses, all gambit like. Everyone in the planes, though, or in the spaceships now also has the buttresses, though, which I don't think they had in the earlier volumes, but now they've got buttresses because Ethos and Praxis have buttresses. Yeah, I think that the head sock. Yeah, the head sock. I think there have been some like slight alterations since chapter one, because from what I remember, I think too, in like chapter one, um, the uniform differentiation isn't quite as permanently established either, because we have like Kane wearing like a black uniform, like the fighters, even within the ship. So there is definitely some like retooling of the like uniform aesthetics over time as Hamlet Machine sort of figures out what she wants to do with like delineating the clear look of like fighters versus navigators and such. Yeah, yeah, that's just I'm now wondering why the security forces don't have a different uniform from the people on the ships. They don't have anything on the uniform to denote rank, so it just feels hmm. And this military has a dumb setup where you can't tell their soldiers apart at a glance, a thing that is actually quite useful in a potential combat situation from people wearing their combat uniforms. But anywho, the anyway. security people bring Kane and Abel to Commander Cook, and I'll quote some of what Cook is saying. This sort of passion is why you were selected for the project, you meaning Abel. We needed candidates with a strong emotional response to trigger the jump drive. You were everything we were looking for. Motivated, idealistic, isolated. Even so, I held doubts your fighter would be capable enough to seduce you. I thought he was too crude, that he'd scare you away. But instead, you let him fuck you like a bitch in heat. And Commander Cook then brings his hand up against Abel's mouth and we get like another emphasis on the bite mark scar that Kane gave him way back in chapter one. And as Cook is talking, we get panels flashing back to Abel's past back on either Earth or whichever colony he was in. I think he was on Earth, but his time pre-military and all of this just sort of strengthening the idea that he was in some way like researched among the candidates as a specifically good potential prospect um for the mission for the covert be gay do warp drive op and cooklin says that's a shame that phobos had to ruin everything Quote, now that you know about Project Phoebe's, you are a liability to us. And Cook basically just lays straight out that they're going to kill him and basically just blame it on like a casualty as part of the dangerous mission in Colteran space, just a covered up execution. And as Kane is watching all of this unfold, 
he has a flashback to the dream that he had at, I believe it was the beginning of chapter four of like the two of them on one of the Mars colonies. And it's the image of uh, Abel alone in the snow asking Cain, why won't you help me? And as he has this going through his mind, Cain is also watching Commander Creep Cook pressing a kiss up against Abel's lips. And this is the last straw. Cain basically gets a jump on one of the security guards, grabs his gun from him, begins shooting. During this sequence, Abel falls to the ground, grabs another one of the guns from a downed guard, and essentially they take out the guards, they shoot at Cook himself, non-lethally, but like gets a good shot to the arm. Cook tells them that the two of them are as good as dead, and Abel gives him a nice kick right across the head, knocking him the fuck out. And Cain and Abel have momentarily taken down the security force and Commander Cook. They both need to go, and Abel's freaking out. He doesn't think there's any point to them running, because, to quote him, even if we took the Reliance, we're in the middle of enemy space during a battle, and if we stay here on the Sleepner, they'll definitely find us. We really are as good as dead. There's no way to escape. And Abel is trying to calm him down, is saying, don't give up on me now. I need you to keep it together just a little longer. And he says, can't you use the thing? By which he means the jump drive. Quote, can't you teleport the goddamn ship? I thought you were supposed to be the smart one. And Abel points out that the last time he used it, he didn't have any control over it. And that had been before he found out about how contrived their relationship was and just that all the Kane was coerced into it in the first place. Yeah. Before he had found out about all of the coercion and everything. And Kane says, if you got a better plan, now's the time. Listen, I know a lot of fucked up shit just happened, but we don't have a lot of options. You focus on getting us away from here, and I'll take care of any enemy ships, okay? You can do this, Abel. You're good at keeping us alive. And so this convinces Abel, and the two of them are going to start running, trying to make their way back to the Reliance with the idea of at least making the attempt. They don't know if they'll be able to make the warp drive work or not, but it's the only option they have. And meanwhile, back in the actual assault siege on the Colteran shipyard, we see the NK and Keeler have dropped off the antimatter bomb payload, and everyone's just sort of trying to make their way back out of the blast radius to survive in time. And during this phase, Cook comes back to, calls Commander Bearing over the comms, tells him that Cain and Abel know the truth, and that they're going to try to escape, give the order to shoot them on sight. And so Bearing does this. The security forces are now after them, keeping the lookout. 
and Cain and Abel reach the shipyard, the launching bay, whatever, and they start running to the Reliance. The guards notice them. They start shooting at them. One shot gets Kane as they're running. It's not bad enough that like instantly downs him, but he is injured in the process of running over. During this escape attempt, Deimos, who's been off to the side, out of sight, also starts shooting at security to help give them the cover to in order to be able to get on the ship and launch before Deimos then gets taken by security himself. And Kane and Naples successfully make it on the ship. They make it into space. Bearing over the intercoms to the rest of the fleet tells them that the Reliant has committed treason and makes sure that ship is destroyed. And everyone else is just like, what the fuck? <laughs> the fuck you mean? So they're just like, no. They're just like, no. And Bearing's pissed off trying to get them to do it. Meanwhile, back aboard the Reliant, Abel realizes that Kane isn't really firing out at the others that are shooting at them. Um, He's not doing so good. Yeah, we get the dramatic shots of like uh, Abel noticing the blood and the full wound and freaking out. And we like shift from that to little images of everything that's going through Abel's mind of like flashbacks to Abel looking out at the stars on the ship. Abel naked, like we get expressions of him sort of like looking like lustfully at peace, like mid sex act. We get him looking over his shoulder, sort of like enticingly at Abel, just all the memories and including the memory of Kane explaining himself saying I did what I had to do and Abel's inner monologue as he's just taking in the stress of everything that's happened to them we get him going this wasn't supposed to happen overlaid of another memory of the two of them naked Abel rising in bed looking at a sleeping Kane just more flashbacks to intimacy before then flashing back to the nightmare from early on of the sort of gorge, like lava, fiery pit setting where in the original scene, it was like a nightmare of Kane pushing him off, whereas now the imagery has been altered to having like an earthquake element and Kane falling back towards the lava and Abel running over to try and save him, grab his hand. We get Abel's narration. I was supposed to protect everyone. We were supposed to go back and then pause next panel with like the two of their hands not yet connecting with the caption box between the hands of the ward together. And flashback to the present as Abel is... As a note, the um, only other sequence in the entire comic that has lighting like this is the sequence where Phobos and Deimos tell Abel what was happening and about Cain, because that area also has, um, they're on like a high sort of platform and there's red underlighting. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's a good note. Yeah, the as we've talked about before, the main color palette remains sort of like white, gray, black, and like some undercurrents of blue. But it's the very like cool color palettes. And here we get the return of the red The in this volume really only happens in the like pivotal, stressful moments of the like backstory dumping to Abel and now in the nightmare sequence, which essentially ends with Abel in all of his stress activating the jump drive. We cut to Bering and the others on the ship. We get the whole the Reliant has disappeared from the scanners sort of thing. But no sooner than that's happened, the payload is detonating, marking that the mission to take down the Colterran shipyard has been a success. Everyone is watching from safe aboard the Sleepnir, having made it in time. Everyone's celebrating NK and Keeler have a little kiss because they're gay too, because as we theorized, these guys were maybe largely chosen for being gay. And also it's a gay erotica comic, and we have a bunch of couples that we have to have hook up. And here is the true success moment of not only were we all here to do this, but we've succeeded. So now is really the moment of, okay, now kiss. But also now that everyone's arrived, they start to see like Deimos being carried off by security and they're all again just like, what the fuck? With the security guys talking about treason again, Keeler literally saying treason again. And the security forces say that Deimos is being taken to the brig on Bering's orders and Keeler isn't stupid. He asked Deimos if he knows what happened to Cain and Abel, and Deimos nods, and essentially they hold a mutiny, and NK and Keeler basically, and Praxis, basically take the guns from the guards, overpower them, and just sort of take over. <laughs> and when Keeler asks about what happened to Cain and Abel, Deimos says that they need to talk to Phobos, who is also in the brig. And yeah, security's whining about this being a mutiny. Uh, Keeler takes a moment to be like, NK, wait, you know, I'm going to go to the brig regardless, but you don't have to throw everything away for yourself. It's that sort of moment. And we get the romantic moment of NK going, Keeler, I told you, I'm not leaving you. And at this point, the other douchebag navigator who was Phobos's friend and hating Abel out throughout the comic uh, shows up is like, if you're finding Phobos, I'm coming to mutiny squad is going to the brig to try and figure out what all's happening. And we then cut scenes back to on board the Reliance where Abel is coming to again after having seemingly lost consciousness. And he's fucked up, nosebleed like hell, all over the bottom of his face and his neck. And his days is sort of interrupted by the alarms on the ship that say the atmosphere has been detected. And the atmosphere is specifically, again, 
the sort of red, the like orangish brown. It doesn't yet say specifically here, but the Mars of it all. And Abel's freaking out, um, isn't sure if Kane is conscious or not, but on the chance that he is, it's just like, hold on to something as he struggles to land the ship. They essentially wreck on the planet. Um, Abel does the best that he can, taking them down, but the ship's fucked up. He drags Kane's body out of the back and... The two of them are like walking out of the ship as it's on fire through the snow before Kane loses consciousness. So he falls down, drops Kane with them. They're passing out as the ship is blowing up behind them. You mean Abel loses consciousness? Yes. Whoops. Um, you called them both Kane simultaneously. Damn it. Um, Abel, who's carrying Kane, loses consciousness, drops himself and Kane, who's already unconscious, and they're passed out on the ground. But understandably, people on Mars noticed a fucking spaceship crashing. So some people follow like the trail to find them and pick them up and move them away from the scene of the crash. These people, specifically the residents that we're going to see here speak Russian like uh, Kane and Deimos have occasionally throughout the series to this point. So again, just the colonies home to where a bunch of those fighters who were coerced are originally from. And we then move forward about a week in time to Abel coming to in bed an unfamiliar ceiling, looking up at the ceiling fan, startling upward. He finds that he's been, like, laid down in a bed. There's some machine-like cords strapped up to him, presumably, like, monitoring his progress. He does the, like, taking off of the little hospital patches sort of thing. Um, Not that it's actually a hospital. And he gets up and starts walking through this domicile that he doesn't recognize and he goes through a door where he finds Kane playing some sort of card game with an old woman who he doesn't recognize and they then notice Abel is there and Kane runs over to him and they embrace and they have their intimate little moments and at first, there's like a nice range of emotions in their facial expressions. Because like in the first panel of them holding each other, they both look kind of pained and stressed and just Abel's losing it a little bit. But after crying for a couple panels, they start to smile. And Abel asks if he's okay. Kane remarks that he's been stitched up. It'll take healing time. But He's okay. Kane tells Abel that he was out cold for a week and that Ludmilla here has been taking care of us. Ludmilla being the name of this old woman who's in the room with Kane. And Abel starts to thank her. Kane tells Abel the Russian wards to use to thank her, tells Abel to do that, saying that she'll love it. 
And so we get this little moment of exchanges in Russian uh, between Abel and Ludmilla. Ludmilla calling Abel cute and Ludmilla then going to like put some tea on. Abel remarks that his head hurts. Kane takes him to get back into bed to rest and they sort of just play catch up here as Abel asks like for confirmation if they're at the colonies and Kane is like, don't you know, I thought you sent us here. And they talk about like their limited memories of what happened with Abel remarking that he had thought they were going to die while other ships were shooting at them and he had blacked out. And the next thing he knew they were in atmosphere and he was trying to land the ship. So he largely blacked out during the experience of activating the jump drive. And he didn't consciously choose Mars or a specific colony to land on. He just wanted the two of them to be somewhere safe. Uh, meanwhile, Kane has a similar recollection of remembering getting shot and being in the Reliance, but then losing consciousness until waking up in a medical bunker on the colony and how lucky they both were to survive. The Reliance totally gone, completely blown up, nothing but burning scrap, and Abel's thankful that the jump drive has been destroyed. He says, but I'll miss our ship. And Kane says, I know. I used to jerk off in it all the time. Priorities, priorities. Kane's favorite jerk-off station has blown up, but conversation gets more serious again. Um, Kane remarks that the Alliance has surveillance tech. They have to suspect something because people have been knocking around the colony asking for information and Ludmilla and others are hiding them, um, keeping them in their presence secret from Alliance authorities but they're going to need to get out of there soon and they need to figure out what they're going to do next. During this conversation, Kane also shows Abel news coverage about the sleep near and about the mutiny on it and how NK and Keeler have taken over. The commanders are in the brig on accusations of abusive power and gross misconduct but how N.K. and Keeler are essentially going to be facing um, court-martial once they arrive back in Alliance space, once they leave Colterran space. And Abel and Kane basically talk about how, with everything they know, that information would be of help to them during the legal process. And they start talking about if there's a way to contact them and basically, Kane says that there's no strong enough transmitter where they're at, but there are some on the colonies and that they could hunt one down, but they'll have to be careful trying to find one and avoiding detection. But before that, Kane thanks Abel for saving him. And we get some nice, intimate little pages between them. Again, just really nice, soft facial expressions. Kane looking like uncomfortable, but like in a sort of doubting, serious way. 
Abel having like a soft smile in return as he tells Cain that he saved him too. And as Abel is like reaching his hand over to hold Cain's, Cain gets up, tells Abel to get some rest. We get just like shots of the two of them in bed alone with just like pensive, thoughtful expressions before some more time passes again. Once Abel has rested more, Abel has been dressed up in excess clothes of Ludmilla's and... In Ludmilla's garage, they find a motorcycle that isn't working great, but is usable at least. And Kane's outside looking around at the surroundings. Abel drives the bike out of the garage, uh, parks in front of Kane, tells him about the bike. And Kane then... Lays it on. It's time for serious talk and bonding moments. Says, I know I don't have the right to say this, but I still want to be with you. Kane says that he feels the same way. Wishes they could just start over. Kane starts saying Abel dot dot dot. To which he says, it's Ethan, remember? Stretches out a hand, which Kane then takes and says his real name, Alexi. And the two of them kiss against just this like nice like blue and pink backdrop of the Martian colonies. They're making out. Real names are being used. Intimacy's here. We have arrived at after all of the stress and all of the machinations and lies and conflicted feelings. The characters have resolved to stay together. They still care about each other. And before they go off on their mission, they hop right back into the house and we get the final sex scene <laughs> of the series because this is an erotic comic. We were obviously going to have an ultimate sex scene towards the end. And it's just like them taking turns, everyone being intimate taking their time being slow, like nice slow panels of kissing, just, it's intimate, it's sweet. and Yeah, it's like eight pages or something. Yeah, it's like eight pages, and it's also specifically one of the least rough sex scenes, which, like, have been on a trajectory, because really it was only, like, the first one or two that was, like, especially so. And cut back briefly to the sleep near... This takes place a bit in the future. Deimos gets the transmission from Cain and Abel. So they are apparently successful in reaching them. And everyone on the ship resolves to make the detour to go to Mars to pick up Cain and Abel before the court martial so that they can help in the legal proceedings to try and avoid having the people involved with the mutiny just get prison time, basically. Everybody trying to actually take down Cook and Bering. And that's the last we see of everyone on the sleep near. They're resolving to go to Mars. And we then get a nice splash page of just like greenish blue and like pinkish white just like the stars and the space and the horizon colors and we then end on 
the final two pages of Starfighter that are a two-page spread of Kane and Abel on Mars. They're riding the motorcycle that they fixed up from Ludmilla. Abel sitting in front driving. Kane is sitting behind him, arms wrapped around Abel's waist. And it's a nice, lovely shot, in my opinion. Like, they both have these um, fairly subtle smiles on... They, you know, they're on their mission to just survive and be together. You know, all of the frets aren't done. Like, we'll still see, or we won't see, because this is where the comic ends. But, you know, there's still everything hanging in the future of the uncertainty of the legal repercussions. Are they going to have to be in hiding? You know, what all is going to happen? But for now, the two of them are together clutching each other closely atop the bike just against this nice lovely backdrop of the snowy whitish bluish landscape with little touches of pink in the sky and the end in the bottom right corner and yeah that's starfighter what do you think i mean i think this was about on par of the first two i know i have a lot to say about just the illogic of the way that the military handled the situation but um i think cook and Baring are just really fucking stupid assholes <laughs> and hopefully getting theirs finally yeah i yeah we'll see about that one um i find that hard to believe that that's gonna actually work out well for them but i i like that we end before we see that not work out well for them yeah we end with a note of hope as opposed to Knowing that things go to shit. A, a six-month court-martial that goes nowhere. Yeah. Um, I'm a little surprised that it isn't Kane's feelings explicitly that activate the jump drive the second time. Like, that's the beat that I probably would have done if I was doing this comic. Like, having it be the second time be like Kane being, thinking about yeah. the relationship and having him do it. That's an interesting idea, yeah. Because it it both, like, acknowledges the fact that Abel is very rightfully feeling really unsure about Kane at that point, um, while confirming the reality of Kane's feelings for Abel in, like, a very explicit in-universe way of this, like, thing that it, it basically is just powered by feeling, acknowledges that these feelings are being felt, and this isn't anything he's just saying. Like, I still like how it was done. That's, like, the one thing I'm like, that's probably the change I would make. Yeah, the way it reads, I think, as is, it's, like, sort of... Abel the... still cares about Kane despite this. Yeah, it's sort of, like, the confirmation of, like, despite all of the stress of the revelations and the just everything going on, I take it as, like, you know, the moment of... Abel is faced with the truth of everything that's happened, but still wants to save the both of them. And, you know, because like we get like the panels and like flashback images of like his time of Kane. I take it as sort of like the demonstration of Abel not even necessarily fully in his own mind explicitly saying this, but like deciding that he still wants to be with Kane and that he wants to save them and just sort of like the precursor to the more explicit 
conversation they have about staying together on Mars. Yeah, and, and like, if it was Kane, it would be, like, almost as though that conversation and the scene where they escape are happening simultaneously, and, like, that makes the sort of plot stuff about will they get away and, and the emotional arc that is kind of the real backbone of the story happen have a climax at the same point rather than having the two separate climaxes it's it doesn't really matter either way this is the story that was told and i do think it's good and well done that was just a thought that i had i like it as is um i guess i'm also just like it kind of fits and that between the two of them it sort of feels like a callback to Abel being like the more protagonist of the two. But yeah, that all makes sense. Um, I like that we do get the time on Mars of like them there together, because even yeah. if it's not like literally like Kane's house, it is sort of nice to be like here we get to have Abel go to like where Kane is from and just sort of a little grounding in this different setting this different landscape it is also just nice as like more or less the only point where characters are like terrestrially bound because like 98% of the comic is them in the ships like moving through space so it's nice to sort of like touch down for a minute at the end it sort of like has a we've made it home feeling to it, even if they're still on the run. Yeah, it, it, it makes the, 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 them landing on Mars makes a lot more sense than, than landing like anywhere on Earth or like showing up, what well, crashing into the apartment building that Ephus is, uh, not, uh, crashing into the apartment building that Abel's dad lives in would be hilarious. But yeah, like, but then the Mars thing made me think, wait, maybe Kane did actually, I'm like, going back and seeing, I'm like, no, it's definitely Abel, but, like, Mars is Kane's home. I also like, like, it's sort of like, it's a temporary respite where they can't get too comfortable. Like, I like the aspect of, okay, we've landed, but we're still sort of in danger. The Alliance is looking for us. You know, I like the sort of immediacy of the on-the-run thing that you wouldn't get with them, say, arriving on Earth and, like, going directly to, say, like, Abel's dad because it sort of allows for a moment of... And now the two lovers are going to be on their own, just them against the world. How romantic, you know? It sort of just feels fitting in that way, too. Yeah. But, yeah, that's that's Starfighter. I like it a lot. Um, I'm still a Hamlet Machine fan, have been following things she's done since. Um, I remember reading like these final chapters as they were coming out and enjoying it and just following her through the years has been nice. Um, maybe we'll do some of her Hamlet Machine stuff at some point. Won't be particularly soon for variety's sake, but I think it's fun. Um, we didn't really talk a lot explicitly as we went through the plot today, but also I'll go ahead and note that the art here, I think, is quite easily the best in the comic. You know, like... Yes, it is. Like, it went over a decade, and you can really see, like, the decade's worth of artistic skill improving here. 
And as another note, the coloration on almost all of the fighters is different. All the fighters now have noticeably darker skin tones than the um, than the navigators, which makes sense if a decent chunk of them are meant to be Romani. Yeah, I think so. Another element of like the art maturing and that element in particular feels like a conscious decision to better match the plot elements of like characters yeah. ethnicity um yeah that's starfighter um this was very much me reacting to free reeks of final crisis which is very <laughs> you by me going we're gonna do free weeks of something that is very me and my impression is that it is definitely more a me thing than a you thing, but it doesn't seem like you disliked it. So I'll at least take that as a win. Yeah, no, it was it was fine. The plot stuff was pretty good, and I enjoyed seeing the, the like. There was more stuff that felt very Star Wars referency to me that I didn't bother to bring up. Some of the people that like find them when they crash land, like look very Star Warsy, like in their garbs and sort of like the vehicles that we see like going across the snow. The aesthetic is very like half Halo, half Star Wars. Yeah. But then for some reason, everyone's wearing a gimp suit. Gotta be sexy in space. Yeah. Like neither of those things have a bunch of soldiers wearing like tight black spandex but this does but that makes sense given the context yeah should we talk about what we're doing next because um we are still taking a sledgehammer to the format of this show (laughs) yeah so now that we have each had a little free part epic coverage of an ongoing story of our choice we are going to return to the your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn of it all. Except we're going to be back on themed bullshit because just like last summer, we are going to be spending time doing a lot of X-Men coverage, even more than last summer. Next week marks the beginning of Wet Hot Mutant Summer and you're up first. So what are we going to be discussing next week? Start off our 10-week X-Men coverage, we'll be doing... A Spider-Man book, Marvel team-up number 150. But he's teaming up with the X-Men, so it counts. He's teaming up with the X-Men, but Marvel team-up admittedly is really just like a Spider-Man book because every issue is Spider-Man teaming up with a different hero. He's the one consistency. But yeah, X-Men will be there. Juggernaut will be there. Black Tom Cassidy. Yeah, it's it's all X-Men villains and... X-Men and Spider-Man. It is an X-Men story. It has one of my favorite like lineups of the X-Men from the 80s, so it's a great one. And it is the last of the three comics that I still give a damn about that I like got in my first like trip to a comic book store. So this is it. After this, no more Chris childhood nostalgia until we eventually cover Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah, going back to the childhood stuff. It'll also be just like, because it's a Marvel team-up, it's a less obvious pick than just doing, like, fucking Dark Phoenix or something, which I do like doing more sort of curveball things. What do we have to say about Dark Phoenix that everyone else hasn't already said? 
we could come on and we could be like, wow, that was pretty good. Yeah. Hey, that was riveting addition to the discourse. Dark Phoenix, pretty good as it turns out. That homophobic artist draws men with big pecs. No one's noticed that before. Well, apparently he complained that the Incas made the men too sexy. Yeah. According to him, it wasn't him. It's like, okay, but it's like on all of your stuff. It's the inks over top of your pencils, literally just enhancing what was already there. But yeah, next week is Marvel Team Up. So thank you all for listening. Again, if you're interested, go check out starfightercomic.com. Hamlet Machine as a Patreon. I recommend it. And yeah, that's all there if you found the gay sci-fi to be of interest. But in the meantime, hope you're an X-Men fan because that's what you're going to be getting for a while from us. Ten weeks. Ten weeks. Thank you all and bye. Bye. Excellent to each other.